All right, let's get to work. Amazing. Man, y'all look so pretty and handsome out there this morning, as always. Someone says shucks, I flattered them. Hey, let's go straight into Ephesians 3.12. We're in our second week of a series entitled The Winner Circle. Um, we're going to teach you how to win in every area of life for the next four weeks. And um, I know that sounds like big talk, but I think the Word of God can back it up. So, um, hey, uh, the, the anchor uh, scriptures for this, this series is Philippians 3.10 through 16. Philippians 3, 10 through 16. Uh, this morning, we're going to deal with verse 12, but we're going to segue into a story in the Old Testament. Um, so Old Testament was pre-Christ before Jesus came on the scene. And uh, there are a lot of just great uh, real-life stories in the Old Testament. Um, and, uh, you know, I've heard people once say, you know, I can't read the Bible because it's boring. And I always tell them very kindly, the Bible isn't boring, you're boring. Um, <laughs> but it is, it's a lot, of, a lot of crazy stuff in Scripture. And so, uh, and, and it's applicable to our lives. So um, Philippians 3.12 says this, Paul, who wrote back to the church in Philippi, a church that he started, uh, Philippians was actually his most joyous letter. We're going to be doing a series next summer entitled Summer Bliss. Um, uh, we're going to study through the book of Philippians. He says this in verse 12 today. He says, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things. Uh, Paul wanted to experience the power of Christ's resurrection in his life. Like he didn't want to wait to die and then uh, be raised from the dead. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you die before Christ comes back, uh, Christ is going to come back and your, your soul is going to meet your body wherever it is. And you're going to raise, rise from the grave. You're going to resurrect. You're going to be raptured into heaven to be with God. And then there's going to be a new earth, a new heaven, new Jerusalem. I don't have time to unpack that. But Christ said, I don't just want to wait till I die. I want to live every day uh, through the power of God. He says, I haven't already achieved these things um, or that I have already reached perfection. Understanding that um, following Jesus is just that. It's maturation. It's maturity. I love this. Here it is. He says, but I press on. I press on. I need you to highlight, circle, underline that. He says, I press on to possess that perfection. The Greek word here is maturity or growth for which Christ first possessed me. So he pressed into it. You know, I was talking about Disney um, uh, last week and we, uh, so th this is not going to be a lot about Disney, how last week was, but uh, we, we went to Disney uh, two Thursdays ago when we were back home in Florida. Well, this is our home, but when we were in Florida. Um, it's kind of hard. but And so we said that we were going to get up at like 6 in the morning. And we actually didn't end up waking up until 7 a.m. Uh, we had a long night the night before. We went to the beach with our kids and, and, and our parents, and it was a great time. Uh, we woke up late, and we got ready in a matter of like 20 minutes. It was me, Kyra, and our baby boy, Judah. Jaziel was with his nana, his other grandma, 
um, across town by the airport. So if you're not privy to, to Orlando, it's all good. Um, we had to leave my mother-in-law's house, and we left by 720. Go pick up Jay by the airport and take a sharp left on over to Disney. And it was literally going to take us, um, no, 820, I'm sorry. It was going to take us 40 minutes to get from Kyra's mother's house to, to the airport to Disney. Now, the connection is this. We had an individual that was going to meet us at the gate at Disney at 9 a.m., and she was going to get us in for free. She was going to give us the three guest passes. Y'all don't know nothing about the three guest passes. Y'all know nothing about it at all. Don't even ask about it. So she was going to give us the three guest passes. Um, Judah was free because he's under three. And um, we needed to be there at 9 o'clock. 9 o'clock. If not, chances are we weren't going to get in. So it was 8.20, 8.40, 9 o'clock. Google Maps put us there. We get near the airport, Wawa. And uh, we called Nana 20 minutes in advance. Nana, we're going to be at Wawa in 20 minutes. We get there. Nana's not there. We pump gas. Kyra gets food. She comes out. I eat my food. I drink my No, I drink my drink, not my food. I drink my drink. Nana is still not there. And I hope she never hears this podcast. If not, we're going to have to edit this portion out. And um, she finally arrives like 15 minutes late. And so we're going to have to bus it from Wawa near the airport all the way to Disney in about 15 minutes. And that's just not going to happen. And so Kyra says, all right, babe, I need you to be my navigation system. So we're going in this lane and we're going in this lane and we're missing this person. And we're running red lights and yellow lights and all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, my God, where are the cops? And so we arrive. We arrive and we park Mickey Mouse 46 is the parking lot number, so you got to remember where you parked. If not, you're going to lose your car. And uh, we made it to the gate, and it was 9:10. And Miss Nellie, God bless her soul, um, such a sweet lady. She was there waiting on us, and um, she gave us a hug, a big kiss, and she gave us our guest passes. And she was willing to be late to work to let us into the gate. And so we got in, and my thought is, is this, is that, Miss Nellie didn't wait um, in order for us to just get into the gate. Uh, she didn't just wait for us to get in and to watch everyone else have fun. She didn't wait. She didn't let us in free. She didn't risk suspension or getting in trouble, um, her job, her livelihood, just so that we could get into the gate. She got us in for free, which, mind you, had we paid for Park Hoppers, a family of four, Judah being free, so a family of three would have been like 800 bucks. She didn't, she didn't let us in just to watch everyone else. She let us in so that we could experience everything that Disney had to offer for free besides the food. So Nana kind of made up for it because she gave us like 80 bucks when she arrived to eat, and you need that much for about one meal at uh, Disney. But what did we do? We, we got there a little late. But we got there. We pressed in. We, we pressed in. And, and there was a need to, 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 to break some laws. There, there was a need to, to run some red lights. We pressed in and we got there. I just want to tell you this, like, that Jesus did not bring you to God for you to just get in. Like, Christ didn't just die on a cross 
Um, he wasn't tortured or, or battered or sped on or beaten just for you to get close to God and not take this opportunity that you have with your heavenly father to the max. He, he, he didn't press in for you not to press in. And, and so what I know about winners is that winners press in to everything that, that God has for them. And, and one of my greatest joys as a pastor over the past uh, few years is seeing someone go from not having faith in Jesus to having faith in Jesus. That, that's always the best. Like, it's amazing. So they go from non-believer to believer. Or I was raised in church to, wow, I, I understand now. It's not, it's not a, a, a rule book. It's not a game of more good, less bad, um, because ultimately my righteousness can't get me into heaven. It's all Jesus. And it's, it's an amazing thing. But an even greater joy than that is seeing people go from non-faith to faith to fulfilled. Because we have a lot of believers, a lot of believers out there who say, I believe in Jesus, but they're not fully fulfilled in Jesus. And so um, the Bible says, Jesus said in John 10, he says, I've come that you may have life and life to the full. The NLT says a rich and satisfying life. So the word rich there means that in Christ, we gain everything that we need spiritually and physically. Satisfying means that everything that you ever want is only found in Jesus. And I think the problem is, is that we come on a Sunday and we raise our hands and we give our hearts and we declare it with our lips, Romans 10, we, raise, we, we believe in our hearts, we declare with our mouths, and so we're like, yes, I'm going to heaven, but we don't understand that it's more than that. God has plans and promises and a calling in store for your life beyond your 8 to 5, your 9 to 5, your Monday through Friday paycheck that you receive, the vacation that you're looking forward to. It's an entire life and calling out there. And so Paul says this, you got to peep the language. He says, I press on to possess that which Christ first possessed me. So let's break this down. Christ saved me so that I could pursue the great things that God has in store for my life. Christ didn't save me just for fire insurance. Christ didn't save me just so that I don't go to hell. Christ saved me because I have a calling. I have things that I have to do. I have a, a mission to fulfill. I have things that he has in store for me, uh, the plans. I, I got great things that I have to attain. And so Paul says this, I don't claim to have attained these things. And this is Paul, three continents, thousands of people, 20% of my Bible, half of the New Testament. And he said by the end of his life, I still haven't reached it. So Jesus saved you, not for you to be stuck in addiction. Jesus saved you, uh, not for you to say, wow, I give my heart to Christ and I've been a free for a month. And then to fall right back into it after giving it a hard month. No, Jesus saved you so you can say, man, I've been free for a month. This is a new foundation to continue on in my freedom. This is a new foundation. 
And so what I want to talk about today is how winners press in. You got to learn to press in. Today we're going to talk about a character. His name is Caleb in the Old Testament. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Um, So Caleb was born a slave in Egypt. Uh, The children of Israel, God's chosen people, were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And um, he was born a slave. And the Bible says in Exodus, I think around chapter 2, that the cries of the children of Israel went up to God. And so uh, God brought Moses into the world. His name means out of water, a deliverer for the children of Israel. He was actually raised in Egypt. Uh, He killed a man. He ran to the wilderness for 40 years, and God uh, spoke to him out of a burning bush, sent him back to Egypt to deliver his people. Um, And so God promised them that I'm going to take you from Egypt. The word in the Hebrew means sin. I'm going to take you out of sin, out of the bondage of sin, because if you're not in Christ, you're bound to sin. And I'm going to take you to a land flowing with milk and honey. And that was a descriptor of the fact that uh, the land of Canaan, which God had set aside for Abraham, their their father, um, was a land where they would lack no good thing. Everything that they ever needed and wanted was going to be in Canaan. Uh, So this is a shadow of Jesus Christ. Canaan, the promised land, is a shadow now, New Testament, of Christ. And so... um, Moses comes, they get delivered from the edge of Egypt to the edge of Kadesh Barnea. Uh, This was an 11-day journey from sin to the promised land. While they're in the wilderness, Moses sends in 12 spies out of the 12 tribes of Israel from Jacob's sons. Jacob had 12 sons, 12 tribes of Israel. And 12 of the spies go into Canaan. They spy out the land. I mean, they're bringing back grapes the size of their heads, and they're having to carry all of this goodness and all this stuff back into the wilderness to show the children of Israel that God's promises are true and fact. And so they get back, and they report to Moses what they saw. And 10 out of the 12 report that we can't do it. Don't trust God. Because whatever he promises will not come to pass. If we go for the promise, if we try to grow, if we attempt to advance, the giants in the land are going to take us out. Ten out of the twelve. So Caleb silences like a million people and he says, look, guys, look, 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 please, please, like, let's reason about this. Let's, let's really talk about this God thing. And he says, if we trust God, he's going to be pleased with us. And we will go in and we will attain everything that he has in store. Please, guys, please believe God. Trust God. Yeah. It's, not, it's not about rules. It's belief and it's trust and it's faith. And it's following him even when you can't see what's out ahead. Trust him and we will attain it. And so the Bible says that, uh, I think this is numbers. To me, it's the saddest story in the scripture because it's a story where they lacked faith. And so the Bible says that they got angry with Caleb, Joshua, and Moses. 
And God had to take those three specifically and hide them from the people because the people were so irate that they were trying to encourage them to follow God. They're like, no, we're not going to follow God. We'd rather be slaves in Egypt. We'd rather go back to what we know instead of going into everything God has called us to. So God had to hide them. And then God went to Moses, who was at that time the man of God, and he said, um, every one that's of military age in this generation will die in the wilderness. He says, my anger is against them because they won't believe me. And so what was an 11-day journey became a 40-year lap. So they spent 11 days and it went to 40 years of granddad died, mom dies, older uncle and auntie and cousins and brothers die out. Because God said that not one of them besides Joshua and Caleb will enter the promised land. And it was all based on disbelief, not even disobedience. I mean, we were running red lights. <laughs> but God got us into Disney. That shows me that salvation is not of works. It's of faith. Jesus did all of the work on the cross. It's not about sin. It's not about Jesus took care of that. It's about believing God in our hearts that he is as good as his word says that he is. And what really annoyed God was their lack of faith. And so 40 years go by, they die. Joshua, who was a, a shadow or a, um, an intern to Moses during these 40 years, uh, a sales lead into leadership, leads the children of Israel into the promised land. The walls of Jericho fall down, down and all this good stuff. They take about three to four years. They've entered in. It takes about three to four years to have all of these battles and conquests. And they've gotten to the point, praise God, where Joshua is giving the allotments out to the different tribes. So Manasseh, you get this. Um, Judah, you get this. Uh, Benjamin, you get this. God put this aside for you through Moses. And it comes to the tribe of Judah. <laughs> and Caleb walks up because Caleb is, is a part of the tribe of Judah. He was top dog. He was 85 at this point. And he walks up to Joshua. And this is the narrative where we step in. Go with me to Joshua 14.6 through nine. Is that okay so far? I feel like I got to give you some context. Um, can't just come up here on Philippians 3.12 and break it down. That'd be source texting. So I want to, I want to veer off. I don't even know where Joshua is and that's my first name. Um, yeah, I know it's on the screen. So it says here, a delegation from the tribe of Judah. I like to read from the Bible. There it is. Um, led by Caleb, son of that person, <laughs> came to Joshua at Gilgal. And so it says this here, Caleb said to Joshua, remember what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, about you and me when we were at Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land of Canaan. And Joshua's probably like, I was there too, what you talking about? I returned and gave an honest report, but my brothers who went with me frightened the people from entering the promised land. 
You're going to have friends that are going to say, hey, that church stuff is weird. That, that, you know. I wholeheartedly follow the Lord my God. So that day Moses solemnly promised me, the land of Canaan on which you were just walking will be your grant of land, and that your descendants and that of your descendants forever, because you wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. So Moses told Caleb, look, I get it. Even Moses died. He had an anger issue. Moses was supposed to make it in, but he didn't. And the Bible calls him the greatest prophet to ever live. But there came a point where Moses didn't trust God to provide. And out of anger, he took his staff and he, we're going to preach about that one day. He took his staff and he bashed the rock and, and he caused the rock to gush out water. And because he didn't trust God, even, even leaders of God can fall into this. And so Joshua enters in. Moses promised Caleb this. And I want to give us three things about how winners are called to press in. Press in. I want to unpack what it looks like to press in. Point number one, you must have, if you're going to win at everything in life, you must have a wholehearted approach. Wholehearted approach. Wholehearted. The word there in the Greek means undivided, without uncertainty. Wholehearted. They often say in life that you are either in a tough season, you are leaving a tough season, or you're about to enter into a struggle. It's always revolving. Uh, I remember when we were pregnant with Judah, um, I think five or six months in, they put Kyra on bed rest because she had too much fluid. She was carrying way large. I'm like, girl, you got twins and triplets in there. What's going on? Like, she had a lot of fluid. And so they put her on bed rest for, like, the last four months of our pregnancy. And at this time, I was um, at another church, and um, it was tough because I was only bringing, bringing in $1,000 a month. So we had Jay's Hill. We had one in the oven. Uh, we had to move out of our house and move back into our mother-in-law's house. I was making $500 every other week. Rent at my mother-in-law's house was $500. Uh, we ended up on food stamps. Um, nothing wrong with food stamps. You got to do what you got to do. But it was very humbling. Not just that. Um, my car went down. and We had to fix the catalytic converter. It's going to cost $1,500 to fix that thing. Three checks, a month and a half of work. And I wasn't going to get it fixed anytime soon. So my mom had to take us places. Chris, at the time, he had a Honda. <laughs> and uh, it, it was a glorious Honda. And uh, we used his car. But it was such a tough season. A lot of tears. A lot of pain. Wondering, Lord, why would I stay in ministry when I can go back to the hospital and make three to, three to four times as much money as I'm making now? What is this season about? Why does it hurt so much? Why is it so painful? Why, why are you calling my wife and I to minister to people, to pour into people, to see that other people are set free and, and blessed and all these things? And, and, but yet we still have to stay in this tough spot. God, don't you see? We have a five-year-old and, and his clothes are being worn out. Lord, don't you see? We're, we're about to bring a baby into the world. There's no way I can continue to effectively minister and, 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 and support two kids and a wife. 
And so I came to find out that God was faithful. And one thing I didn't doubt during that entire season was my wife's devotion to the Lord, to me, to our children, and last of all, to the calling and the purpose that he set our family aside for. She was wholehearted, undivided. I was wholehearted, undivided. It hurt like hell. And some of you are in a season right now where it hurts like hell. It hurts, and it hurts bad. Your money may be looking right, but your relationships are jacked up. Your relationships may be well, but your job situation is jacked up. Your jobs and your money and your relationships are good, but your health is not too good. Or there's a loved one who's sick, or it's tough at the job, or you're not meeting your quotas or your sales. Some of us, if not most or all of us in this room, are going through something in every area of our life. But what I came to find out was during this, the, during this season, because God actually used the wilderness. you got to understand, Caleb had a decision to make even 40 years into it. Like he had a decision to make year one, year two, year three, year 10, year 15, year 20. He had a decision to make on whether or not he was going to trust God and God's promise for his life. And what I came to find out was God was testing us and humbling us to see if we were wholehearted and undivided about Jesus and about building the kingdom of God on this earth. And it was that season that got us to this season. It was that season. And it's this season that's going to get you to the next season. Because half-hearted people get half of God's blessing. Half-hearted people get half of the promotion. They get half of the advancement. They experience half of the growth. Because they're divided. One foot in, one foot out. You better ask the 10 spies that you don't name your kids after. There are 10 spies. I don't even know their names. I've read them like a million times over the past 10 years. I forget their names. But you know a Caleb. You either went to school with him. You have him in your family. He's one of your kids. You got a friend named Caleb on Facebook. You know a Joshua. There's a Josh in your family. There's a Josh that you know through someone else. There's a Joshua at your job. Your, your pastor may even be named Joshua. But you don't know the other 10. Because they took the salvation of God and they stopped right on the edge. I give my life to Jesus. Yes, I miss hell. All right, what a party at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then there, there, are, there are the two out of the 12 that say, I gave my heart to Jesus. What's next, God? Mm, what's next? Ah, oh, this is hard. Ah, uh, uh, uh. oh, made it through that season. Oh, yes. Oh, my God, this is even harder than that. But you got two, mostly two out of 12 people. That, that's good. That will profess the name of Jesus. 
that will move on to everything God has for them. And God is seeing if you're wholehearted in your faith and in your devotion to who you say you are. This is still a Christian nation, but I don't see a lot of Christ in it anymore. God is looking for wholehearted people. Those that, when you know that there's a test at school three weeks from now, you start studying as soon as you get word and news that there's a test. Because I have an A to make. I have a next class I have to advance to. I have, a, I, I have God's glory that's at stake. Wholehearted. I'm married, and I'm, and I'm married to this person. And if that one didn't work out, this second marriage is going to work out. I'm wholehearted, undivided. I have kids, and, and I gotta, my priorities have to align around their health and their growth. And my schedule has to align. I have to be home at a certain time. I got to read the Bible with them. I have to pray over them. I got to have fun with them. I got to take them to the park. I got to kiss on them. I got to build them up. I'm, I'm wholehearted. I'm all in. And what this society lacks is whole hearts. If you're going to win, you got to be wholehearted in everything God. God is looking for wholehearted people. If you're going to win, you got to have a not enough attitude. When you press in, you got a not enough attitude. And it says this, Joshua 14, 10, 11 says, now as you can see, I love it. Caleb is pressing in to Joshua's behind. He says this, the Lord has kept me alive and well as he promised for all these 45 years since Moses made this promise. He used the word promise twice in one verse. Even while Israel wandered in the wilderness, today I am 85 years old. I am as strong now as I was when Moses sent me on that journey, and I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. This joker, man. Not enough attitude. And I fear that eight to five has become enough. I fear that two or three vacations in the summer has become enough. I fear that for our generation because we no longer have anything to fight for. Everything is handed to us. And the very things that we're blessed with can sometimes be the things that stop us from growing even the more. You have to have a not enough attitude. Desmond Doss was a combat medic in World War II, and um, he was a believer in Jesus Christ. He followed the Ten Commandments to a T. And so he vowed to never kill anyone. And uh, he entered into the military, and he told his commanding officers, they, they put him in, in one of the rifle in infantries, and he says, no, I'm not going to use a rifle. And they got upset with him. So the military took him to trial for it. They actually wanted to kick him out of, of service. For whatever reason, he wins the trial, and he's going into World War II against the Japanese army with no weapon. He's a combat medic. He doesn't want to kill or shoot anyone. He's strong in his convictions. So in May of 1945, um, U.S. soldiers approach Okinawa, Hexall Ridge, and they're gaining ground on the Japanese army. And so J Japan's last line of defense on this particular cliff 
is just to go all out and attack the U.S. Army. Because if, if they get this, they're pretty much going to win the war. So Japan just ambushes America. It's, they're climbing up the cliff, and as soon as they set foot on the cliff, here's Japan. Grenades and, 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 and bullets and all this stuff. And so Desmond sees this person go down and this person go down. And his friend over here and his commanding officer over here, and everyone's on the phone. You, it's a movie about it. It's called Hexall Ridge. You really got to see it if you've seen it. It was a blessing. And so they say, retreat, retreat, draw back, draw back, go back down the cliff. Desmond Dawes disobeys the order. And he goes back in towards the fire, towards the danger, towards the struggle, towards the fight. He goes back in and he saves one. He patches him up and he gets him back to refuge. This sucker even, he created a harness to get certain men down. While bullets are flying across his head, he creates a harness getting men down. And he's looking around and he goes back in. Goes back in. Got to get one more. Got to get... And, and he gets three, and he gets four, and he starts to pray this prayer. He starts to say, please, Lord, help me get one more. Please, Lord, help me get one more. Please, Lord, help me get one more. And so by the end of the night, through the power of Jesus Christ, he ends up saving almost 100 of his fellow soldiers, some of which were Japanese. He even saved the enemy camp because he's a winner and he had a not enough attitude. And we, some of us need to start praying, please, Lord, one more, one more degree, one more month of freedom, one more person in church, one more promotion. One more step close to debt free. One more. One more relationship within my family healed. I got to have one more conversation with my mom and that sucker's going to be healed. We got to start praying for one more. One more. You got to have a not enough attitude and you got to claim your prize. Desmond had a prize, and that was a saved life. What are your prize? What are your promises? One more. If it's, once again, if it's debt-free, if, if it's an education level, if it's debt-free and you're still $10,000 in debt, you have not reached the prize. You got to get there. You can't give up on it. You got to stay focused. You got to set goals. You got to go for it. God has promised it to you. He wants to bless you in it. If you want a PhD, a bachelor's ain't go do it. You got to press in. You got to focus. You got to set goals. If you want to start a business, it just being right here in your mind is not going to do it. If you're going to wait on someone to give you the money to start that business, you better ask me something about that. It's not going to happen. You got to press in and you got to say, God, one more dollar, one more meeting, one more vision, one more step. You got to start praying this stuff. You want to raise a family? One more month. One more week of faithfulness. You want to have a great marriage? It has to be two people, undivided. One more day. One more talk. One more devotion. One more vacation. One more night. Whatever you got to do, it needs to be one 
more. You got to have a not enough attitude. Wake up early, stay up late, get a mentor, set goals, and follow through. Wake up early, stay up late, get a mentor, set goals, and follow through. You have to have a not enough attitude. Go after it and don't stop until you get it. Caleb went from 40 to 85, which tells me they, they, they circled the wilderness for 40 years. They had to clear out the enemy for five years. Joshua was about to give Judah their portion. Caleb, hold on. Oh, Joshua, wait, wait, hold on. Um, there's a specific patch of land that God has in store for me. I know we're in, but don't just give me just know anything. Give me what God has laid on my heart. And God has given you a vision. And for some reason, you keep thinking about this thing. You can't get it out of your heart. You get emotional about it because you're working in the bank, but you know your calling is somewhere over here. And sometimes we become numb to vision and to dreams and to growth. And before we know it, we've been in the bank for 10 years. Because for some reason, it's become enough. When we know we want to be over here because that's what God has promised us. No wrong with working in the bank, I'm just saying. Now, a not enough attitude. God's promise about Highlight Church upon us moving here when he gave me this vision in 2011 was thousands of people, thousands, thousands of changed lives. We just served in a home yesterday where we served amazing mothers and their children who are going through a tough time. They're running away from domestic abuse situations, and we serve their children. We set up ice cream bar and, and games and, and face painting and we just brought joy to that community of, 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 I think it was like seven or ten children and nine or ten mothers. It's a small start, but we want to continue to do that. And, and we talk a lot about Houston and Hurricane Irma. Get, my heart is for Florida. I was born and raised in Florida. But guess what? Right here in our backyard. One more life. Get a heart for your city. One more salvation, one more baptism, one more superhero. We've given thousands of dollars to this school. We're going to start giving money to family services, more money. There needs to be met. And I'm telling God every day, you called me when I was 23, no, when I was 21. I'm 30, and I'm just as strong today as I was when I was 21 years old. And you got to get a not enough attitude in your, in your faith. It's not enough yet. Number three, if you're going to win, you got to face your giants. Press in and face your giants. <laughs> Caleb. <laughs> so give me the hill country that the Lord promised me. You will remember that as scouts, we found the descendants of Anak living there uh, go to the verse, please. Yeah, you're good. Thank you. Um, living there in, in great walled towns. But if the Lord is with me, I will drive them out 
of the land, just as the Lord said. I love Caleb. He said, if God is with me, I'm going to drive them out of the land. And he says this, so Joshua, now these, the, the Anakites were the very uh, beings that the 10 spies um, were afraid to confront. God called them to take something that he had already set aside for, for them. What the 10 spies missed was that God was going to be the one who was going to take care of the thing that they were afraid to confront. But God needs to use you as a vessel to confront it. If you don't confront it, you die in the wilderness. Okay? And so the Anakites, and he says, So Joshua blessed Caleb, go ahead, and gave Hebron to him as his portion of land. Hebron still belongs to the descendants of, oh, man, this is, now this is powerful. Watch this. This is generational blessing. So Caleb was born into generational slavery. 400 years of drunkenness and drugs and dysfunction and divorce and all these different things. For 400 years of, of, and then he goes, a process, it's a process with God. He goes from a slave to watch this verse right here. This is beautiful. And it says that Hebron, verse 14, still belongs to the descendants of Caleb because he wholeheartedly followed the Lord. Previously, Hebron had belonged to Kerioth Arba. It had been named after Arba, a great hero of the descendants of Anak, and the land rests from war. God wants your family in your situation to get to a point where you are at rest from all contention. That's what faith can do in your life and in your marriage, where, where you are holistically at rest. Everything's not perfect, but you can be at rest and at peace in Christ. And so in 1982, Nick Vujicic was born and uh, he was born with tetraamelia. Uh, this is a genetic disorder that causes you to not have your arms and your legs. And so he has, this is not funny, but he has, it's funny to him. He has two small and deformed feet that he calls his chicken drumsticks. And uh, no arms, no legs. I wish we had a picture of him. You probably know him. If you've ever been to a bookstore, you probably saw him on a book, um, Living Without Limits. Um, in his early adolescent years, he attempted to commit suicide because he was always picked on uh, for his uh, disability. Um, his mother and his father were believers of Christ. And so I think around the age of 15, she brought Nick an article of a severely disabled man who had made a difference in the world and in, in society that sparked something in Nick. It lit a fire under his faith and under his tenacity and his courage. And he started to lead discussions in his, uh, in his study group, in his prayer group at church. And from there, as a young man on, he became a New York Times bestseller. Right now, he's one of the top speakers in the world. He's brought thousands of people to Jesus Christ. And check this out, y'all. The brother has two kids and a wife. He faced his giants. He faced his giants. No legs, no arms. Those are some giants. No legs, no arms, chicken drumsticks. Those are giants. He got a wife and two kids. 
those are giants. He faced his giants. And, and now he's, he's doing amazing things. Caleb understands that right now at the age of 85 that I have giants I must face. You have giants that you must face. Lack of money, you have to face it. If you're going to get the prize, a lack of money cannot be the excuse for why you're not going to school. You got giants, you, a lack of resource, a lack of support. My dad wasn't there. My mom wasn't there. You have giants that you must face. And I believe our biggest giants are our internal giants. The anger that we've held on to for so long. The unforgiveness. The bitterness. The fear and the worry that God can't do this and he won't do this. For so long, I had a, um, not a jaded view of my dad, but an approach of, man, I can't really approach him with everything. And that hurt me because I love my father. And I wanted our relationship to be without uh, preconceived, struggles and notions of uh, just who he was. And obviously, I got older through my teenage years and uh, became a young adult, uh, early 20s. I finally had a discussion with him. I, I, I garnered up the, the courage to talk to my dad because I knew if I had this talk, this would be it. This would be amazing for our relationship. And I had this talk, and I said, Dad, um, I love you, and I just want to know, because um, all my life, I've always been afraid to share things with you. When I was mad with you, when I was upset with you, um, about you not living with us when you were home, um, and I just want to know, is it okay if I can talk to you about the things that are truly on my heart? And his answer was, it's always been okay because you've always been my son and I've always loved you. I've not been perfect, but I've always had an open door and an open arm policy to you. And I'm sorry that for 25 years, you never knew that. And we both cried and we hugged and our relationship within 30 minutes time was reconciled. That was a giant. That was a giant. But I had to face it. And what we have to stop doing is waiting on people to take our giants down. If you're going to win, you got to press in. God has given you the power to do something about your situations. Face your giants. If that vision seems too big, if that dream seems too large, go head first into it. Go head first. So the word anak in the Hebrew, and we're out of here in four minutes, means long-necked men. So these were giants. These men, historians believe, were anywhere between eight to ten feet tall. 
And Caleb went in and he faced his giants. Press into your giants because they stand between you and the promise of God in your life. And maybe this this ain't for you right now because maybe you're on a mountaintop. But as I said, life is as such. You're either in a struggle, coming out, or you're about to enter in. And one thing the wilderness can do if you're not careful, is the wilderness can have you in a place for years if you don't choose to press into your giants, if you don't choose to have a not enough attitude. And I am praying for you this morning that you would press in and that you would have a not enough attitude for those relationships you want to see healed Your mom, your friend, your dad, whoever it is, is not going to come with the reconciliation. You as a follower of Jesus have the responsibility to approach that person and reconcile that situation. It may cost you $100,000 to get that business off the ground. You may only have $5 to your name. But when you face it, the resource will follow the vision. If you have a vision, the resource will follow. Philippians 4.13 says this. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Caleb understood this. Pull up Joshua 14 again for me. 12 through 15. Caleb understood this. Verse 14, no, verse 12. So give me the hill country the Lord promised me. You will remember that as scouts, we found the descendants of Anak living there, walled towns. But if the Lord is with me, I will drive them out of the land, as the Lord said. And to this day, to this very day, Caleb's descendants still own that territory. If you're going to win, you got to press in. Someone say that. If I'm going to win, I got to press in. If I'm going to win, I got to press in. If I'm going to win, I got to press in. Some of you didn't say it, and because of it, you're not going to win in this season. Because the word says that life and death are in the power of the tongue, and those that love the fruit shall eat thereof. So whatever you're saying is what shall come to pass. I'm going to give you one last chance. If I'm going to win, I got to press in. That's it. Father, we love you and we honor you. Jesus, thank you for your strength. Thank you, God, that we win through you and that we are more than conquerors. Thank you, Jesus, that you loved us enough to die on the cross so that we could be set free from our sin, so that we would find true life in you. And God, thank you that you have possessed us to possess the things that you have in store for us. So Jesus, give us the hearts to press in to our calling to the great things you have in store. Lord, we love you this morning.